I love that. Did I get that right? Close. All right. Yeah. He's going to correct me. So um, if you guys would, I would like you to give a big Revo Conference welcome to Pastor Todd Bishop. Well, happy Friday! Well, who's glad to be in God's house tonight? You could be any other place on the planet, but you are here at the Armory. Come on now. Come on, you're here. Now, I don't know what you came to do, but I know what I came. I came on assignment tonight because I believe God's got a word for you tonight. It's not a word that's going to uh, kind of stir you for a moment. I'm hoping it's going to change you for a lifetime. See, most of us, I think we come and we get jazzed up in church, but we don't give a jack when we leave church. Hello. We get all excited, we can work ourselves up, but then when we leave the doors of the building we're in or the environment we're in, we find ourselves going right back to the same old, same old, but the same spirit that is in this house is with you when you leave this building. It ought to inspire you every single day of your life, every moment, 24-7, 365. You ought to walk in the spirit of the living God. Pretty simple, right? Man, I'm excited to be here. I'll tell you why I'm excited to be here. I was a youth pastor just 30 minutes north for about five years up in a little town called Hudson Falls, New York. So this is kind of, you know, well, one person knows, great. I'm t it's great to be home. And what's even greater is to see the church in Albany alive. The church in Albany wanting to do something great. The church in Albany wanting to make an impact. The church in Albany truly wanting to plunder hell and populate heaven. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission of Jesus. And that is the hope for each and every one of you. The reality is we could give our lives to anything. We could give our lives to our occupation. We could give our lives to income. Or we could give it to the church of Jesus Christ. And when we give it to the church, when we give it to Jesus, we make a difference that lasts far beyond our date of death. An impact. I don't want to make a dent. I want to make a difference. Come on, church. I want to see God's kingdom made manifest in this region and beyond. Some of the greatest revivals that New York had ever seen was in upstate New York. I mean, I remember reading about Charles Finney, 1858 revival in Rochester, New York, where he walked into that town. He was scheduled for a one-week revival. That one-week revival ended up lasting almost two years. At the end of that two-year revival, one million men, women, boys, and girls gave their lives to Jesus. That's what God wants to do in the capital region. But it wasn't just that. The uh, Rochester Historical Society records what happened there. And it said every bar room, every brothel closed down. Places of employment closed early so people in the city could get to the revival. How amazing would that be if that happened in Albany? I don't know if you're smoking what I'm selling right now, but I'm telling you, God wants to do something incredible. And so we have this thing in our church, man. We don't believe in popcorn clapping. Which means if one person claps, we do not want that person to feel awkward. It is embarrassing being the solo clapper at a church. Come on now. Like we're like, why, I'm, this is so good. Why am I the only one excited? We want everyone to get excited. Right? It's not just worship. It's the word. I remember, um, actually, let me just say this. I'm here with my son, Malachi. Malachi, give everybody a wave. It's better looking of who I am. And a good friend of mine, Pete who's one of my armor bearers, just such a great man, uh, always travels with me when he can, so just want to give him a shout out. But um, about six weeks ago, we were doing an event at our church called Student Takeover. And our students, six interns, all in high school, interned at our church over the summer, and we let them plan a Sunday service. They took over the service. It was very interesting because in that service, uh, it was just a Q&A, me interviewing five of the best of the best within our church, teenagers. At the end of that, now I'm Pentecostal. Any Pentecostals in the house? Okay, charismaniacs, come on now. We're all excited about Jesus, right? I'm just like, like, I'm literally like, in this moment, I was raised Pentecostal. 
I was raised that people scream until you get it. Right? And, and you got to be ready for it because it can happen at any moment. And here we were in this setting. We're finishing up our Q&A with our teenagers. When all of a sudden at the end of it, I said, hey, every great move of God has always had involved in it young people. Man in the back of our church, Melvin, stands up and starts speaking in tongues. I'm like, oh, wow, Melvin has never done that before. My first thought as a pastor is, what's he going to say? My second thought was, he wouldn't have done it unless he had something to say. He gives the tongue and the interpretation of it. I look at my wife who's sitting in the front. I'm saying, Mary, there's no way unless you're telling people that we're talking secrets about how he couldn't know what you showed us in private. All of a sudden, it became public. That set us on a six-week revival in our church. Six weeks. In a six-week period, we saw over 130 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. It wasn't just, hey, let's show up and have church. It was, let's show up and be the church. And I think for a church group like this to make a difference, it's going to have to be about being the church outside the church walls. And so I want to stir you a little bit tonight. And I want to I give you a message tonight. I, I, man, I hope you don't get offended, but if you do, you're probably religious. Um, the title of my message tonight is Hell No. Hell No. Bible says in Mark 16, it said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone for the one. Go into all the world, preach the good news. Anyone who believes is baptized will be saved. Anyone who does not believe will be condemned. That's a big word, isn't it? I mean, I, I, don't, I think we've lost the value or the potency of the word condemned. It does not mean have a bad hair day. It does not mean your internet went down. It simply means you will spend a lifeless eternity in hell without Jesus unless someone brings Jesus to you. I think at the end of our lives, I, I want a line of people that I have influenced or impacted with my life. I do not want to go to heaven alone. I think too many Christians say, man, as long as I get there, I can have my Holy Ghost hoedown. It's upstate, I could say that. I could get all excited in church and I don't tell anybody out there about Jesus. I just enjoy the experience, but that experience does not transform the people around me. Because I've learned in 25 years of being a pastor, I know I don't look a day over 26, but... All right, you guys are warming up to me. All right, good, I'm glad. But I've learned, man, that those who often shout the loudest are the ones who often do the least. They will amen you to death, but they will do nothing outside the doors of the church. And I just think that there's got to be passion and there's got to be purpose. It can't just be passionless purpose. Track it with me? It's got to be me on fire for God. And so, so I think some of times we look at this and we say, man, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Yes, I want to preach the gospel. I want to preach the good news. But I've discovered this. You can't hear the good news and first you discover the bad news. The bad news is, if I don't know Jesus... If my family does not know Jesus, if my coworkers do not know Jesus, they will go to hell. They need Jesus. And I must be commissioned, we must be commissioned to share that message. So let me ask you this, man. Do you want your family to go to hell? Hell no. You want your friends to go to hell? Hell no. Do you want your coworkers to go to hell? Hell no. Maybe you'll chant with me eventually. But, but if you're maybe, I don't know how to say that. You could say heck to the no. All right. I saw somebody say, yes, heck to the no. Do you know how many people die each day in the United States? 7,452. Since we started this service tonight, almost 400 people have died. Somewhere in America, one person dies every 12 seconds. 
It is awesome to be in environments like this, but these environments should empower us to make a difference outside. It should inspire us with this passion that God has filled me up so I could be spilled out. God has impacted my life. He shaped my life on purpose for a purpose. And so, hear me today. We cannot change how many people die, but we can say, say hell no to them dying without Jesus. We can make a difference in people's lives. Our mission must be, as the church of Jesus Christ, to plunder hell and populate heaven. It's got to be the rallying cry of the church because it is what unites us. The mission of Jesus was to seek and save those who are lost. If it was his mission, I think it's a pretty good mission for us to follow with. It's something that we're designed to do. We're hardwired to tell others about Jesus. And I've had the privilege to lead many, many people to the Lord, but not just in church services because that's easy. Putting myself in difficult conversations or challenging moments with people that don't think exactly like me. I'll tell you a story. We had a, an event we did at our church called Night to Shine. It's a special needs prom, a, a prom for those with special needs, sponsored by Tim Tebow. And our church did it last, this past year, and it's absolutely amazing. The event was powerful, but what was more powerful what, what, was what happened after the event. One of the things that Tim Tebow has is long uh, connection to student athletes. And so our local university on Long Island, Long Island University at Post, we had about 30 student athletes come, all non-religious, all non-Christian. They came to this event. Next thing you know, the football team begins, not all of them, but many of them start showing up at our church. Became friends with the captain of the football team, great running back, Tim Marnin. Senior this year. Over the summer, I met with him in Florida when we were down there on vacation. And I talked to him, and I had the privilege to lead him to the Lord earlier this year. And I'm talking to him, and I said, Tim, um, senior year, man, are you ready? He goes, Pastor, I uh, just want to make a difference. Got any ideas? I'm like, okay, um, that's your job. You're, I'm just the pastor. I preach. And I said, well, I got an idea. Why don't we do a Bible study for the football team? He goes, that's a great idea. I'll see how many guys we can get. I go to the first week. We've only been doing about six weeks. First week, three guys show up. I'm like, this is awesome. Led all three of them to the Lord. The next week. There's 11 guys, one of which is this star quarterback, led him to the Lord. Seven guys that day. Then it went to 15 and 13 and 15. These guys are just, it's absolutely amazing, the communication I'm getting. But what did I have to do? I wasn't doing that in church. I was going onto the university campus, sneaking past security to go back into the back and do a Bible study with some football players, but some of the girls got offended because we didn't have a Bible study for them. So they started sliding into the Bible study, some of the female student athletes. Are you kidding me? If I would have stayed in the comfort of my church, I might have missed a move of God that he was doing outside the church building. When does that happen? I'll tell you when it happens. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. I don't get home till about 7.30 every Sunday night. Because at the end of it, I'm talking to guys, praying with guys for an hour, hour and a half. Pete goes with me a lot. These guys are so, I have never seen young men so hungry for Jesus like these football players. In 25 years of pastoring. But they're not doing church in church. They're doing church on a university. See, it's really about us positioning ourselves because for me, after preaching multiple services, hugging on people, praying over people, and then to get in a car, drive 40 minutes to a university is inconvenient. But I have never seen God move in a convenient moment. Hey God, listen, uh, I get off work at 5.30, and um, if you want to move at 6, that'd be great. 
God moves when God moves with or without you. That's the power of God's presence. And I think when he's moving, the byproduct of a move of God is always lives being changed. It's people coming to faith. It's those who are walking away from their addictions. Those who feel like they're lost and broken. They're finding their fondness, foundness in God. They're searching. They're finding. Those who feel suicidal, they find that they still have purpose. Those who are wandering aimlessly in the world realize that God has something more for their life than just I wonder how many of us would say, man, God, send me anywhere to make a difference for the one, for the two, for the three, for the four. See, we're not called to move fish from one tank to another in the church. Now, I don't know if that happens up here in the capital region. But I mean, people jump from church to church to church to church. Oh, well, they got a better youth program and they got a better kids program. You know what? Sometimes, can I be honest as a pastor? Sometimes I want to slap people because I literally want to say, you are growing nowhere. Not going nowhere, you are growing nowhere. Because the Bible teaches us in the Psalms those planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. I've got to be planted in God's house to find the flourishing discovery he has for me. So I want to encourage you, whatever church you're at, stay planted. Stay planted. Let your roots go down deep so you can be strong in who you are. We're not called to take people from one tank to another. We're called to fish for fresh fish. We ought to be out there saying, man, how can I reach more people? Where do I need to position myself? What moments do I need to put myself in that are not convenient for me? Because when God shows up, it ain't never convenient. It's never. It's always those unique moments where you have your three songs, a message, and then a little worship at the end, and all of a sudden God just, boom, shows up. You're like, geez, I didn't see that coming. He's like, you're right, because you ain't me. I want God to move today. And God's saying, uh, I've been moving since the beginning of time. Where have you been? And I wonder if we're trying to get the emotions of God moving instead of the reality he already is moving. See, I think for me, I, we have this thing we've been saying in our church, we're not looking for a revival, we are in revival. I don't have to feel it, I don't have to sense it, I know it because... God has given us a promise, and God's given the capital region a promise as well. See, I want to see God do the impossible and improbable because we as Christians always exist for the one. The one that's lost, the one that's forgotten. See, the Bible teaches we need to preach the good news to every one. The lost, the least, the last, the hurting, the hopeless, the helpless, the forgotten, the broken, the neglected, the ignored, the marginalized. We exist for every single person. And here's the reality, reality about God. God does not want anyone to go to hell. He's so unwilling for anyone to perish that he is stalling his return so more people could find their way to him. He's waiting. The Bible says this, the Lord isn't slow about keeping his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but everyone to repent. The heart cry of our Father is for every single person. Every person. You know, I'm also privileged to not only pastor a growing church, but a growing church that's very diverse. Red, yellow, black, white, orange, pink, blue, every color out there. But I also love that we have diversity of thought within our church. Meaning they all ain't exactly where the Bible says they ought to be yet. So I love that we have lesbians in our church. I love that we have people that are so uniquely different than how I grew up or the church I grew up in. Can we talk about that? I mean, when I grew up in church, 12 years old, I was sitting in church with a baseball cap on, 
an usher, I could still tell you his name today because it so enraged me, walked up behind me, flipped my hat off and said, young man, whenever you come into church, never wear a hat. You know what I said? Last time I'm in church. I would skip church every single week. My mother sang in the choir. I'd slide in and slide out. I'd go with my friend John and we'd go to the local corner store. We'd eat candy and sodas in his mother's Cadillac. That's what I did. All because one person didn't see a young man who needed Jesus. He saw a kid with a baseball cap on. I wonder how many of us walk in with our preconceived ideas of how someone ought to look or act. I remember sitting with one of the young lesbian girls in our church, and she came, I never really talked to her about it, and she said, I want to meet with you. She comes in, she tells me her story, and she's telling me how she lost her father, how she lost her mother. All within the span of a few years, I'm seeing a young lady who is with a blankness in her eyes. And then I asked the question, who are you dating? Just wanted to see, and she's like, nobody. She said, I was dating a girl, but then I came to my church, and I realized that my church isn't for that. So I don't even know what I am today. I sat there and thought, I said, yeah, but we never even talked about that in church. She goes, yeah, I just knew. See, here's what I've learned about cleaning fish that come in that stank in your church. God cleans them a lot better than we clean them. And if my whole existence as a pastor or a Christian is to go around pointing out everyone else's flaws and everyone else's faults, then you know what? I'm going to jack people up. But if my purpose is to create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to speak into people's lives and to transform them, you can see any sinner brought home. Hell no to people going to hell. So here's some principles to reach the one. First is this. Never live with a marina mentality. It's safe in the marina. Come on, any boaters here? Do you have water here? Right? A river. You have a river. Okay. Uh, how can I contextualize this? Um, I can't even think of how to do that. But don't live, a marina is a safe place. It's where there's not much break and the, the waves break early and it's pretty settled. We have a lot of those down at Long Island where we're from. And so there's a lot of marinas. It's safe. It's safe harbor. It's seen as a place where you need to get to if there's a storm, immediately get to the harbor. Jesus said this to Peter. said, no, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. In other words, you can't stay in the harbor if you want to catch fish. You can't stay in your building if you want to catch fish. You can't stay in the safety if you want to catch fish. You've got to get out there and catch some fish. Man, we exist to reach lost people. How many are you reaching? Who are you going after? Who is on your Holy Ghost hit list? What names have you put down and said, man, I'm going to reach this person with the gospel? I have a friend of mine. Very wealthy guy down in Long Island. Multi, 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 multi-millionaire. I literally have been working on him for four years. Let me tell you this crazy story. He owns a catering hall. It is the premier wedding destination in America. I'm talking to him several times over four years, and a couple weeks ago I was there with a friend at their restaurant in the, the catering hall, and I'm like, Hey, so-and-so, man, I, I, come on, you got to come to church. It's been four years that I've been asking you. He says, preach. You know, I'm not coming in. I'm not a good man. I've never been a good man. I never will be a good man. And then something rose up in me. Do you ever have one of those moments where you're like, well, I, I don't take no for an answer very well. And so I'm like, hey, what if? We did church here. I didn't know what he would say. Well, you idiot. People pay $400 a head to have meals here. And I'm thinking like, okay, what? And he goes, you have my word. You can do church here. I was, like, I was so taken back, I thought I wet myself. Like, you ever had one of those moments you're like, okay, I'm good. We're all right. 
Nobody else has had one of those? Come on, I know Bethel always, come on. Like God just, whoa, God showed up. I took my shoes off. Love Bethel. I always know it's Bethel worship when the shoes are off. I'm like, yes, Bethel's in the house. I love you guys, wherever you go. I can't see anybody, so I don't know. I don't even know if anybody's here, but I hear you. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, so, so think about this. The place is a castle. So imagine this service, church at the castle. You know what? My first thought was this would be awesome. We could pack this place. We'll put up sound lighting. Then I said, wait, that's the wrong, wrong thought. And I stopped and said, the greatest moment will be when I'm preaching the gospel and my friend who I've been working on for four years is standing in the back with his beer belly out, hands in his pockets, and I give the invitation to receive Jesus. And he says, me. So we do it for every single person. Preach the good news, it says. Share our faith with everyone, everywhere. Too many Christians have a marina mentality. They play it safe. They want to just keep the fish they got. But we ought to live with an ocean obsession. That we launch out into the deep where no one else is fishing. Where no one else is going. And we're reaching the people no one else is reaching. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people going to hell in the capital region. And it's going to take a church, the church of Jesus Christ, to reach every single person. See, I have this new expression that I've been saying. I love my church, but I don't live for my church. I live for the church. I love my church. I'll give everything to it. But I will live for the church. That means I will give even more to that. See, more to that means it's going to put me in uncomfortable seasons and situations. And that's why we have to learn to, number two, live the good news. It's got to be more than just preaching it. It's living it. It's when people see your life, they see something different in you wherever you are. I remember as a youth pastor for several years, I had the misfortune of doing interventions with teenagers and their parents. One of the hardest things I've ever done. And I remember sitting in this one in my wife and I's first apartment. We're sitting there doing an intervention with a girl who had just uh, lost her virginity and was going through a very difficult time. And she was emotionally a nightmare. I remember sitting with mom and dad and her and she's weeping and she says, Mom, you have no idea how many times I wanted to kill myself. And I was like, oh, that's pretty heavy. And the mother looks at her daughter and says this, if you do, do it right, because I don't want a paraplegic in my house. These people were on the church board, teaching Sunday school classes, teaching the marriage classes. And I said right there, no wonder this girl's jacked up, because mom and dad are jacked up. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. There's a point we have to recognize we have a moral obligation and responsibility to live the good news. To not just preach it, to not just celebrate it when we're in here, but to celebrate it when we're out there. Let me tell you, are you a good tipper? If you ain't a good tipper, tell them you go to the other church. Don't tell them you go to one of the churches here tonight. I mean, we ought to be able to give well, tip well. We ought to be generous. We ought to hold the door open for people while we're wearing our church t-shirt. Like, we ought to be the ones saying, man, we're setting the bar high. So that when people see us, they're like, I don't know all the church names, so I'll just say City Church, or I'll just say Albany Church. They see an Albany Church shirt, they're like, man, these people are awesome. Not, man, that rude person, they gave me a 2% tip. Come on now, that's real talk, right? How about at work? I hate my job. You ought to be thankful you got a job. There's a lot of people in life that would love a job. We're going to thank God for that job. What about, man, I'm just going to leave work a little bit early. That ain't living the good news. That's stealing from your boss. I'd have put in everything I got to make sure I'm honoring God in every area 
of my life. we got to live the good news. St. Francis of Assisi said this, It is no use walking anywhere to preach unless your walking is in your preaching. Did you catch that? Preach the gospel, yes, but live the gospel big time. Live it in every environment. Live the gospel at home, at work, in the store, in the mall, when you're on the parkway. Does it get traffic around here? Listen, I, I'm telling you what, there are times we have this expressway called the Long Island Expressway. We call it the parking lot from hell. And I'm telling you, there are times, even as a pastor, I'm literally like getting yelled at and I want to go, Come on, is that not true? Come on, I, I'm the least religious person ever. Not really ever, but. I love what Philippians 1.27 says this. I love what it says. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Notice the language Paul is using to the church in Colossae. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Above all? I don't think it's accidental what's in the word. Say it above everything, live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of what? The good news. Carry yourself in a manner that the good news is not blinded by your poor behavior. Live in such a way that people are like, I want what you have. I need what you have. What is so flippin' different about you? Live in a way that makes people ask questions. You don't have to carry a big Bible anymore. You ought to be the Bible known and read by people. That when people see your life, they see something different in you. And then finally tonight, get so full of God that hell trembles whenever you walk into the room. I think we've been too intimidated by the enemy. The enemy sends things in our directions and we get scared to death. Several years ago, about seven years ago, almost eight years ago, I was going, going, going. We were three and a half years into our church plant. We were $42,000 in the hole. My wife and I had exhausted our entire life savings. I was so stressed out and I was working harder and harder thinking I could make a difference without him. I kept going and going and going and going and I hit a wall. I ran into, I was in my basement at my house and I was working out in the basement. My son Malachi was younger then. He was upstairs getting ready for school. And I had a, a younger daughter at that point, now three kids. And, and I'm working out, and all of a sudden the room starts spinning. I'm like, what the heck is happening? My heart is racing. I pounded through my chest. I couldn't even control it. And I've worked out my whole life, and I'm like, all right, breathing exercises, breathing exercises. Couldn't regulate it. I called my wife, who was on her way to her job, and I said, I said, Mary, I'm, I think I'm having a heart attack. She's like, you idiot, did you call 911? No, call them first. That's a good woman right there, right? It's like, all right, get off the phone. I call 911. I said, please, I'm with my young son. I just want to be on the phone with you. Just, it keeps me calm. Waited about just a few minutes before the ambulance got there. I felt like such a, like, sir, you got to calm down. You're going to give yourself a heart attack. I'm having one. He's like, no, you're not. You're having a panic attack. Never had one in my life before that. The next six months, I lost about 30 pounds. I couldn't eat. Had a hard time getting up to preach. I would shake every time. I would be like this saying, oh, God, just get me through the message. Just get me through. I just want to get through the message. I hit a wall. My wife and I went away and we're celebrating our anniversary, excuse me, on my birthday. And we went to the Poconos. That ain't what it used to be. We got the heart-shaped room, you know what I'm saying? I was like, this is disgusting. So we go in there, we go to the restaurant, and in the middle of the restaurant I have this major panic attack. I'm sweating, dripping down. I'm like, I'm like Mary, I got to get out of here right now. I got to get out of this room. I, gotta, I, can't, I can't. I was having a hard time driving. I was having a hard time preaching. I was having a hard time functioning. I was ready to leave the ministry because of the stress load. 
And I literally said, let's go back to the room. I just, I just want to lay down. I just want to lay down. We go back to the hotel room. I go into the bathroom. I kneel down and I start crying out to God. I said, God, all I wanted to do was preach the gospel. And now I don't even feel like doing it. I didn't want to go to church and I started the church. I didn't want to be there. Feels like it's too stressed. It's too much. The load is too heavy. And then I did something that I don't always recommend people to do. But something in me stirred. And I said, you know what? Hold on a second, God. I want to have a conversation with somebody else. And I had a conversation with the devil. And I made this statement. I said, Satan, if you're going to take me out, you're going to take me out doing what I love and what I'm called to do. I will preach the gospel and reach as many people as I possibly can, whether you like it or not. If I have to preach with anxiety, I will preach with anxiety. Whatever it takes for the gospel is the good news. Went back, about three months after that, I never once suffered from a panic attack while I was preaching ever again. But here's what I've learned. Hell would not have thrown me into a hotel room and opened the door with a naked woman in there. That would not have been my temptation because I got a gorgeous Puerto Rican girl from Queens. But hell knew there was another way I could get to Todd. I'm going to get to him right here. Come on, let's talk about it. See, the victory starts up here long before it manifests out here. It starts in your mind and your thoughts. And the enemy tried to play a trick on me. Tried to take me out just a few years into a church plant. I'm grateful today that I had that conversation with him and said, you ain't going to touch this. I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to preach through it. And so let me tell you what I've preached through. I've preached through anxiety. I've preached through panic attacks. I've preached through personal attacks. People that just come against you. Come on, pastors. You all know what I'm talking about, our 10 pastors that are here. You've never had anyone say anything about you. If you haven't, you might not be doing something right. I've preached through flus, pink eye, prostate issues. I've preached through a half cut off toe, no joke, in a slipper, crazy story. I preached one time where I sliced my hand on a prop and just, somebody get me a napkin please, I need to keep going. You know why? Because I made a commitment in that bathroom. I will never stop preaching the gospel no matter what it costs me. So since the inception of our church 11 years ago, nearly 2,700 people have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Imagine if I gave in to the fear. I gave in to the anxiety. I gave in to the attack. Hell would be a lot more populated today. See, all of us have been given a mission, but hell trembles when the church does what the church has been called to do. Hell gets a little nervous when a church gathers on a Friday night in Albany and is saying, I want more of God. I want to make a larger impact. The enemy is sitting there saying, uh-oh. There is a church stirring. There is something happening. And I believe God wants to send an earth-shaking, heaven-quaking revival to the capital region. I don't believe it's in the future. I believe it is in this moment right here and right now. See, your life has purpose. And I don't know who needs to hear this today. Maybe there's nobody in this room. Maybe there's just one that needs to hear this today. At 12 years old, I thought my life had no purpose. I went to the basement of my house, 792 Rod Road in Alden, New York. I tied a rope around the joist, put it around my neck, and kicked the, uh, the chair out from under me. And boom, right on my neck. But the joist bent on me. 
I've been in the lowest of low blaming myself for all our family problems growing up. I've been in that situation where I didn't know why I was here. Why would God ever love me? And yet I discovered when there was a youth pastor who put his arm around me and said, Todd, you matter. You mean something and God has a destiny for your life. So I'm here to tell you, God has a destiny for you. God has a purpose for your life that's way beyond your pain. In fact, we have an expression in our church we say all the time, your pain, your past, and your perversions are still a platform to your potential. God uses everything from your history, but he does not let your history define your destiny. He has something for you to accomplish. So your life not only has purpose, but your life also has power. We have too many powerless Christians today. They're living life without power. God has given you power. The Holy Spirit, when it comes on you, it gives you power. Power to change not just your life, but power to change the lives of those around you. I don't know what kind of power you're seeking today, because you can seek power, you can seek position, you can seek authority, and you can seek everything, but the power of God is the greatest entity that every one of us ought to be running for. Every one of us ought to be pursuing. It's the power and presence of God. I love what 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. I don't know, church. Do you want an encounter with Jesus that transforms your life because you came face to face with his power? Or do you just want to come in and say, man, I, it was good service. It was really good. I, I had Bethel worship and they had their shoes off. And, which were, they were phenomenal, by the way, weren't they? It was absolutely awesome. But I had that and then this, this pastor from Long Island in skinny jeans is like yelling and his veins are coming out. I thought he was going to have some kind of coronary. Oh, that's great. But at the end of it, the hope of Mike and the team here, the pastors, is that you have an encounter with the power of God. Because the power of God is what will transform your life. When you experience the power of God in your life, he will empower you to reach your friends and family. The question has to be, how much of God's power do you want? So our prayer tonight is simple. My prayer tonight for you is simple. God, fill us up. Fill us up till we overflow. Till it spills out into other people. See, is there anyone who will say hell no to the enemy winning in our lives? And say heaven yes to a move of God in the capital region? Is there anybody who will say, man, I've had enough? I've had enough of just showing up at church. I want to be the church. I want to be whatever God's designed me to be. I don't just want to go through the motions. I want to experience God in a new, fresh way. I want God to disrupt my schedule. I want God to take my life and reframe it. Here's a, here's a great way to know God's moving in your life. When you start tithing. Tithing is the ultimate test of your trust in God's power. Because it's you taking what you can tangibly see and put it where you can't really see it working until it actually does. And then when it does, he'll open up the windows of heaven. He'll pour out a blessing so abundant, you won't have enough room for it. I don't know, you guys don't want that. Anybody? Six of us, great, okay, good. You know how else you know the power of God's moving in your life? When your language changes. Your talk is different. You're not, man, it's, I hate my job. I, I can't believe church. It lasted two hours tonight. And you're literally saying, God, what do you got next? God, what are you opening up for me? Where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who am I going to talk to today? Who's going to cross paths with me today that gets to hear the story of God's amazing love? just wonder sometimes if we've just gotten so busy that we've busied God out of our moments of everyday life. And yet God is here in this place to not just stir us, to not just challenge us, but to change us. To take us to another level. 
And as you grow closer to God, don't think that means life's going to get easier. I think it, life gets harder because hell gets a little ticked off. It gets a little upset when the church of Jesus Christ starts to rise. You think, hey, great job. Enemies just cheering you along. Oh, yeah, oh, go ahead, take territory. Go reach that prostitute. Yes. No, he's angry because hell trembles when someone discovers their purpose. Hell trembles when someone realizes that they have more potential than they've been using. Hell trembles when you and I realize that the power of God is not something off in the cosmos somewhere. It's not something we wish we have. It is something that we have because God places on the inside of our lives. You are filled with the power of God. For what purpose? To just have it and say, man, I've got the power of God. This is awesome. Or to use what God places within you and transforms a culture. Wouldn't it be awesome if the church in Albany transformed the spiritual climate of this region? That it wasn't just confined to our buildings, but it trickled into politics? Come on, Lord knows these people need Jesus. Just saying. What if it trickled into our educational system? What if the power of God evident in the church of Jesus Christ in Albany trickled into the grocery store? Where when you're walking into the grocery store, you pull off your shoes? And you go a little Bethel? And you have a little worship encounter? Or someone said, man, why are you so nice? What's different about you? Imagine if all of a sudden, in public places, the church became visible again. At the turn of the century, do you realize, 1900s, everything revolved around the church. Weddings happened at the church. We don't even do them at churches anymore. Think about this. I mean, school happened around the church. Everything revolved around the church, but then we shifted away. Has America gotten better or worse since? Church needs to be at the forefront again. We need Christian teachers, Christian politicians, Christian doctors, and Christian lawyers, and Christian pastors who are filled with the power of God. Not just showing up at church, but getting juiced up at church so you could go and make a difference somewhere. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody tonight. Maybe I'm just talking to me. I want more of God's presence. I want more of God's power. I want to plunder hell and populate heaven. I want to see the church of Jesus Christ change our culture. And so if that's you tonight, Real simple, if that's you, man, you're ready to change the culture. You want hell to tremble when you wake up in the morning. You want hell to get a little nervous when your church opens its doors. You want hell to get a little shaky when you're walking into work because you're going to be the person to minister to the hurting and the broken and the forgotten. Man, I don't know about you, but that's my prayer. If that's your prayer tonight, would you stand to your feet? You want to change a culture. You want to change a region. You want to make an impact. This right here, sacred moment. Sacred, would you stretch your hands to heaven right now? And I want you to pray a simple prayer. Say, Lord, fill me. Your words, Lord, fill me. Come on, make this your prayer. Your declaration, Lord, fill my life tonight. Fill me with your power. Come on, your moment. This can't be led. This must be driven by your own spirit and your own heart. Thank you, God. Fill your church today, Jesus. Fill your church with power. Fill us with power, God. Fill us with a power the world has yet to see. Fill your people, oh God, with an insatiable desire 
to get so close to you that people confuse who we are with who we used to be. That they see a difference in us. God, today, unleash your power in this room in a way that will transform our destiny. Some of us, Lord, may have to shift from an occupation to a divine call. Some of us may feel the drive to leave our jobs to become pastors or missionaries. Some of us are going to be called to stay planted where we are, even though we don't like it, because we know there's a purpose in that moment. So Spirit of the living God, fall fresh. Fall fresh in this place in a way that makes hell tremble and shake because the church of Jesus Christ is rising. It's moving. It is stirring. The spirit of your people is cultivating a renewed focus on your presence and your power in such a way that we don't just transform churches, but we transform cultures and cities and states and nations and the world. May the church rise. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Move among us in a way that will shake us to our core and cause us to do what no one else is doing, to go to those no one else is going to, and to make a difference that captivates a region. Father, pour out your spirit, and may that presence fall so powerfully on each and every one of us that we cannot leave this place the same. We must leave different and changed because your presence wasn't just in the room, it was in me. So release that in us tonight. In Jesus' name.